B2B marketing and sales can be tough to master. Sales cycles can be long, and buyers are notoriously difficult to close. That's why you need Minds On at your side. We're a B2B marketing and digital agency that's helped more than 200 clients evolve their brands, win more business, and succeed more often. And we're ready to help you. Visit www.mindson.com today to schedule your no-obligation consultation. Now, on to today's program. I'm your host, Dan Harris, and welcome back to another episode of Minds on B2B. Thank you so much, everyone, for clicking, subscribing, sharing, downloading, and, of course, listening to our podcast. This is a weekly show dedicated to helping busy B2B executives, marketers, and sales professionals stay informed, learn something new, and perhaps apply a lesson learned or run with an idea shared by our guests. As we say at Minds On, all of our minds together are better than any one mind alone. Who knows? You just might like what you hear, connect, and network with us. Hello, everyone. This is Dan Harris, your host of Minds On B2B, and I'm excited to be back here in the podcast studio. Better yet, we're actually doing this live from the Florist Group. And our guest today will be president and founder of the Florist Group, James Roarhees. And in a back-to-back episode, we're going to be talking with his chief growth officer, Mr. Paul Fuller. I asked these two gentlemen to be on the show because they do a couple of things I know everyone out there listening wants to do. One, they help sales and customer-facing teams permanently eliminate barriers to their success, and they also help them cultivate habits that produce higher levels of performance. So let me share some results. Over a five-year period, they helped their clients add $1.65 billion to their sales pipelines generating 350 million of new revenue at 74% average win rate. So as we said at the beginning in the intro of the show, we're here to connect you, we're here to help you learn and help you grow your business. And these two gentlemen are gonna help us do that. So with that introduction, I'm sure you wanna meet James Roarhees. So James, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dan. Great to be here. All right, James. What I'd like to do is, if you can, just tell our listeners what we'll be talking about on this episode and what they'll learn by listening today. Well, the first thing we'll be talking about is this concept of how we approach sales as a leadership competency. And uh, then we'll be diving deeper into how we help our clients execute that across all the sales and customer-facing teams within their organization. Interesting. So how will this help a salesperson become successful and what's a core component of it? Sure. Uh, this, this really evolved from my own experience as a salesperson for more than 15 years working within venture-backed startups. Um, I learned or actually taught myself how to sell things that people hadn't heard of to solve problems they didn't know they had. Uh, it was a challenging environment. We didn't have, we, because we were, we were startups, we didn't have um, big lists of customers. We didn't oftentimes have product that was um, bulletproof, ready to go. And so rather than resting on our customers and our products to differentiate me in the sales process, I had to differentiate not only myself, but the companies that I was working for. Okay. And so what that required was me to take the focus off of me and my young company and put it on my client and their problem. And so 
what I had to, um, and I learned this later after starting this company, after starting Floris uh, in 06, but what I later learned was that what I was really doing was uh, practicing a leadership competency in that uh, when I would walk into an organization, um, I would position myself as an expert and I would identify uh, the shared goals that both the client and I had, and I would then uh, earn the mantle of leadership so that I could walk them down a shared path to change. And by doing so, um, I achieved all the objectives that most of us think about today, establishing yourself as an expert, establishing thought leadership, establishing yourself as a trusted advisor. All those things sound great, but actually learning how to do that and showing up and being able to do that is very challenging. And what, what we've found with our clients now over the years is that this approach is really refreshing for salespeople who find themselves showing up uh, in a defensive posture when they're selling, right. feeling like I'm bugging people when I call them or email them, um, and not stepping into their power as a leader. Uh, what we also find is that there are those folks that show up as order takers, if you will, the ones I just talked about. But there are also the other set of folks that show up like Alec Baldwin did in Glengarry Glen Ross. Yeah. Right, which is a classic persona of a salesperson who doesn't take prisoners. Uh, the classic persona of somebody who believes sales is a uh, zero-sum game of winners and losers. And if you don't close a deal, you're a loser. Um, and that creates a huge burden for a salesperson who has to get up every day and be wonderful and spectacular and uh, you know hit their quota and make, make the cash that their family's gonna live on. A huge amount of stress. And what we also find is that today, that persona is antithetical to the way that most of us think of ourselves and most of, us, and most of the core values that we walk around with. So if you're going to show up as a leader, you can either show up as a power leader who views sales as a zero-sum game or as a servant leader yeah. who shows up and identifies shared goals for growth and then walks that client down a shared path to change. So would you say that that approach helps you build a strong relationship initially, but also establishes trust long-term. And can you talk a little bit about those two things? You're, you're dead on. And, okay. And so the, yes, it's, 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 and that's actually why we call a salesperson who competes and wins as a servant leader, a growth multiplier. Hmm. Because, you know, when, when we show up and I was, I was the prototypical power leader in my first 15 years. I was very successful, but ended up burning out because I was behaving in a way that was contrary to my core values. Uh, I would, at home, I would be the person I was raised to be. At work, I was someone else. Mm. And it wasn't scalable, didn't last. Um, and the same thing occurs inside businesses. When the power leader shows up and is very transactional or manipulative, and really only interested in what they can take out of an, a, a relationship, it's not good for the client and it's not good for the company they represent. So what ends up happening is that power leader may close a deal, but he or she creates friction in the relationship with the customer and with their employer. What kind of friction with the customer? Well, the friction that's created with the customer is that maybe as a power leader and a, manip a manipulative salesperson, I may not give them full disclosure on what they're missing from their deal. I may try to upsell them with things they don't need. Um, 
those are very classic situations that occur. And I'm also going to use price to manipulate them, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I can give you a better deal if you make a decision by the end of the quarter. We all understand that methodology, but what's really interesting today is that we find that classic ERP and CRM software providers, their, their sales now spike at the end of the quarter because now every buyer on the planet knows what they should be doing. They have to wait till the end of the quarter. So the manipulative techniques, um, they create deals, but they actually end up working against us over time. Hmm. What's also very interesting in many of the organizations that I worked with um, when I was a salesperson was that there was a disconnect between sales and the rest of the organization. Uh, in many of the manufacturing plants that I work with today, you'll see words like integrity, uh, transparency, um, you know, honesty up on the walls in the manufacturing plant, yet the sales team is almost encouraged to operate the exact opposite way. We're, out, we're encouraged to go do whatever it takes to close that deal. And that, so that creates huge conflict inside an organization where now sales isn't respected by the rest of the company. They're, they're tolerated. They're not aligned. And so try to get the sales team to work with marketing. Try to get the sales team to work with the product team. It's very difficult. Yeah, so I have a question for you. So that when you talked about your days as a power uh, salesperson, power leader, um, what was the point at which you realized enough is enough? And then how did you, how did you change? I know you probably had to change yourself first and then bring the team along with you, but can you talk a little bit about that experience? I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm impressed you went there because this is one of the things that I talk about a lot. Um, and, uh, well, so the short story is it was December 31st, 2004. I was a top rep worldwide for a uh, uh, very successful company today that, um, that exists still today. Um, and I was reclosing a client who uh, was already committed to us, had already made a substantial down payment on his, on his um deal was willing to walk away from that down payment to walk away from the deal and as the top performer worldwide I was um, I was putting on a clinic for my boss and his boss mm -hmm. so I had my VP and the global VP listening in <laughs> <laughs> so so it, it you know so as the classic power leader as the classic person who now wasn't going to lose at any cost especially in front of especially when, with an audience yeah um, I was in my home office pacing, um, working that deal and closing that deal. And um, while I was on that call, it was I was successful. I didn't need the money. I had already was already 330% of my quota, but it was not about the client, it was about me. I uh, was burping up stomach acid as I was looking out my window, uh, closing that deal. And um, as soon as I hopped the phone, I uh, um, it was, it was really interesting how things aligned. I jumped on the internet, looked up um, life coaching because I had mm. just heard about life, this concept of life coaching, hired a life coach and actually uh, became functional within about six months of that experience and um, quickly realized that every CEO and sales leader I had ever worked with um, needed this kind of functionality. Right. And so within six months after that, I had started my company and we had actually moved and uh, just re, re, uh, rebooted our entire life. Um, and I had that coach for the following 10 years, uh, not because I was that broken, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but because, you know, the coaching experience, um, um, helping people move and transform is a very, um, it's a, it's a, it's a skilled, 
it's a skill that you have to learn and acquire. And so over those 10 years, I really learned uh, how to apply that skill to a very tough audience, mm -hmm. accomplished CEOs and sales leaders, business owners, executives um, who are used to being hard driving, people from my generation and generations before me who grew up a certain way thinking about the way that, that things should be done. And I'm glad to say that we've had a, uh, we've spent a lot of time now the last um, 13 years helping to people achieve those transformations and we've been successful at it. That's fantastic. And I can't agree more. I mean, you, you look at high performing athletes, uh, movie stars, singers, when they're performing at that level, um, they need coaches. So why not you and I and CEOs and VPs of businesses? I mean, it's it's our life, it's our career. Why why not have a coach that can guide you in that direction? I'd also like to just follow up that question with what was the impact to the business when you as a sales leader, a power sales leader, uh, was doing this? And then after words once this changed what did the company thrive did the brand grow or did you see uh because the way you were operating the brand was uh less than powerful in the market yeah that's a great point um so the the power leader the zero-sum game it's all about me and hitting my quota much less about the customer and what they require that approach is really rewarded, especially in high growth organizations. Yeah. And it becomes a cultural imperative, right? And so it's very difficult to be part of a 100 person sales team and not adapt and adopt and embrace the culture of that group, <clears throat> especially, and this is, there's no value judgment here against that group or people who sell that way today. This is a personal thing for me. And it's a personal thing for the folks that we work with. Right. Um, so there is a oil and water kind of relationship there. Now, thankfully, in that environment, at the end of the day, the, uh, the common absolute rule always applied. If you kill your number, who cares? Do whatever you want. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it wasn't about them not embracing my approach. It was about me and the, um, the uh, disconnect. And the idea that I could that I couldn't be who I was and who I was and who I and how I wanted to operate wasn't embraced by my environment. And so that that created a conflict that had to that eventually had to just be taken care of, and I had to go do my own thing. Yeah. Um. So 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 that was all about me. Now, in terms of driving success, um. Uh, what's really powerful is that when you show up as a growth multiplier, and you are able to identify the goals that a client has that you can deliver. And when you sell the way that we promote, there's a four-step process, which Paul's going to talk about. Um, when you identify those goals and you look at the impact of success or failure and you make the initial part of the conversation about the things the client values, you now understand their definition of value Mm -hmm. And now you can position everything that you do from a needs perspective and a solutions perspective um, uh, in the context of that value definition. Um, and so what I was able to do is differentiate myself significantly from my competition uh, with this approach, which may be much more attractive, one, to the client in the short term of the transaction, but also gave me a, an incredible base of referrals from my customers who 
couldn't wait to tell their coworkers and other and peers about the relationship we had built and how I had served them. Now, it's interesting about servant leadership. The mistake people make when they think about it is that we are putting others above ourselves. That is absolutely not the case. This is about a shared relationship. So I have to make sure as a salesperson that my goals are aligned with the client's goals. Is this client looking to achieve the things I can deliver? Mm-hmm. So it's, a, it's purely a qualifying effort. What are your goals? Are those goals I can deliver? I'm not going to force myself into a situation <clears throat> where I can't be competitive. I'm going to wait and find the situations where I can be competitive. And then I'm going to walk them down a path to change. They're going to follow my lead. Why? Because change, the buying process, is fraught with risk. And once I establish myself as an expert, then that client absolutely is going to feel more confident following my path to change because I've done it hundreds of times, and this may be their only their first or second time doing it. Right. So that's interesting. <clears throat> and I, we've talked a lot about leadership, right, and this servant leadership. But um, so what if a person who's listening to this really isn't a leader um, and they're just following along the way the culture has trained them to be? Does that really make them a bad salesperson? That's a great question. <clears throat> so uh, we did talk about this idea of being an order taker. Now, again, that that phrase may be may in <clears throat> sales cultures be viewed as a negative. Uh, what I'm really talking about is, uh, and I don't view it that way at all. What we're talking about is role fit. Okay. Sales role fit. So if if you're somebody who works for IBM, a big brand, or you and you you sell for a company with a differentiated product, maybe that's disrupting the market, then it's much it's a much easier sales job. You don't have to have a broad set of skills required, for example, to do the things that we were doing in terms of um, uh, breaking new markets with a product nobody had heard of to solve a problem they didn't know they had. Right. So as a, so being an order taker, it just simply really simply talks about the fact that you have to do less leading, less of the differentiation is on your head, your shoulders. This approach is ideal. The approach I'm talking about is ideal for people who can't be order takers, who are working for startups, who are working for small businesses, who are working for businesses where they don't have a very well-known br- name or brand in the marketplace, for folks who are competing against larger brands that folks know about. Um, and that's actually 90% of all the salespeople out there <laughs> when you think true. about it. Very true. Um, so, yeah, it's really, a, it's really for those people who want a path that empowers them to actually, we, we refer to it as taking control of growth. Uh, we have this saying internally, that, and we also one that we share with our customers who train with us, you are responsible for, the, for your success. Your uh, CEOs are responsible for the companies they have. Uh, salespeople are responsible for the customers that they have. What does that mean? It means that uh, uh, our success or failure is not in the hands of fate. It's in our control. So we have a very simple formula that we follow. D plus A equals O. Decisions plus actions equal outcomes. The more structured your decisions, the more disciplined your actions, the more predictable your outcomes. And so all we're really talking about is viewing yourself as a salesperson, as a leader, somebody who's going who's gonna to make the right dis- 
decisions and take the right actions to give yourself control, more control over the buying relationship. Right. And therefore, make that relationship more predictable. And if you can do that, you can build a pipeline that will always overexceed your quota. And you can build a sales organization that will drive growth for your, for your company. Yeah. And I mean, what you said earlier, too, was by taking on this approach as a servant leader in this process, you're positively disrupting uh, the way that people are buying um, and the trust is built up over time. So that's very, very interesting. I think it applies just about anybody that's in business today. So can you share an example? Um, you don't have to name names of a company or anything, but I'd love to hear an example of where you went in, uh, you provided training, and what kind of results happened, and in what time frame? What can people sure. expect? So we, um, we do make pretty aggressive statements about what we can help folks do. Um, we, uh, we have a, a manufacturing client that, and I use them because they have an inside team and they have two outside teams. They also sell, they sell direct and they sell through channels. Okay. So it's a, it's pretty a, complex. It, it's a complex organization. <laughs> so if you look at the inside team, the inside team was taking orders from their channel partners and they had maybe about a hundred million in orders outstanding at any one point in time. And they could only expect to close less than 10% of those. Hmm. Why is that? Because the channel is always kind of just asking for quotes and they're investing all this time on quotes, but only, but only a 10% close rate means that they're wasting a lot of time and, uh, and they're giving up a lot of their capacity uh, and not earning any money from that. So, the first, so, that, so that group internally can feel like order takers. They can feel like they have no control. If a channel partner calls and wants a price, they, they can feel like they have to give it. Hmm. And then they also feel like uh, they have no control and they follow up on those orders and bids. Hey, how's it going? What's happened? Uh, because they started the relationship without any respect, it's hard to earn that respect once they've given the quote or the proposal. So we simply went in and helped them think about, first off, change their mindset. Uh, the servant leader growth multiplier mindset is one where we don't show up as an order taker. We actually show up with questions that challenge, in this case, the uh, channel partners and distributors who are placing the orders to actually come to them with better information. Mm -hmm. And so we found that when they began asking those questions, they get a lot of pushback because now they're changing the relationship with their channel partners. And so we gave them one simple, as, as an example, we, we had a broad solution here, but one example is uh, the inside salesperson when they received pushback from the channel partner would simply ask the channel partner, look, um, is your goal the lowest possible price or a happy and returning customer? And it, it <laughs> and it really stifled these folks because what, what these guys really wanted was a, they wanted both, but you can't have both. Right. You can't call for a bid or a quote on a complex deal, on a complex manufactured product and, and, um, give the person giving you the quote as little information as possible and then expect that that's going to hold true when you go in and actually finish the spec. <laughs> so, you know, so we gave we gave the inside team that chance. And by the way, that was in, we started that work in 2011. The company over five years uh, grew on average by 21%. They, they more than 100, I think around 130, 140% total growth in those five years. I'm still with them. One, because there's turnover. But because also because growth creates change. 
in the organization. It, it requires us to come back and continue to use the same tools to solve new problems. Mm -hmm. That's impressive. Impressive results uh, from an impressive gentleman. So uh, we're going to wrap this one up. Um, I know we're going to try to uh, talk about another episode around growth multipliers. Um, so before we, uh, before we end this episode, can you tell people how to get a hold of you, how to find out more about your solution? Well, I'll tell you what, we love working with people and organizations that have aggressive goals for growth. We also look, 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 love working with folks who like to take um, uh, more um, slower steps to change and exploring this idea of becoming a growth multiplier. Either way, we'd be happy to help. Uh, visit us at floristgroup.com. That's F-L-O-R-I-S-S group.com. Lots of videos, blogs, other information there. You can join the Growth Multiplier movement simply by signing up for a newsletter, which is a monthly newsletter that includes a lot of the information that we talked about today in, in addition to some how-tos. We also have a ton of other opportunities such as uh, webinars on a monthly basis. We have uh, public training programs. Many of those are focused around evolving servant leaders into growth multipliers. They're very popular with the uh, folks that have already been through some servant leader training. And a, a number, a host of other ways that people can get involved. My, also, I'm always available for a half hour phone call. So uh, if you email me at james at floristgroup.com, I'm happy to set up a half hour call to talk to anybody about the challenges they might be facing. Fantastic. Well, thank you, James. My pleasure. Well, thank you, James. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a pleasure uh, having you on the podcast today. So listeners, visit thefloristgroup.com to learn more about empowering and transforming your sales team to become a modern customer-centric sales organization. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Minds on B2B. If you enjoyed the show, learned a little bit, Go ahead and subscribe and share the episode with your friends. Now, here's something you can do. If you have ideas for a possible episode or topics you'd like to talk about, reach out to me on LinkedIn at Danny D. Harris. Again, that's Danny D. Harris. You can also send me an email with subject line, Minds on B2B idea or guest to dan.harris at mindson.com. The more input we get from listeners, the more listeners, the better this podcast is going to be. So make sure to subscribe to your show on iTunes or on your favorite podcast player. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please rate the podcast, leave a review, and tell us how we're doing. Until next time, this is Dan Harris. Stay curious, connect often, and learn always. Thanks for listening to today's Minds On B2B podcast. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe. Also, feel free to share this episode with your peers and colleagues so we can keep bringing you quality content from the best minds in B2B. Until next time, from all of us at Minds On, have a great week.